You know what that sound means? It's another episode of Game for a Movie. I am your host, Mike. I am joined by nobody again. Uh, it's just one of those days where I just want to get an episode out there, so I've watched a bad movie. I'm going to tell you all about it, and I can tell you right now, just to give you a little preview if you haven't seen the title of the episode you're watching yet, it's about one of the first black superhero movies. One of the first. So if you think you know what it is and you haven't seen the title yet, because that's definitely going to give it away, uh, stay tuned and you'll find out what it is later. But of course, we always start the show the same way. What are we drinking? I have a Naughty Nurse IPA from City Steam Brewing that is in beautiful Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, it is a decent beer. It's not bad. Uh, I got it for free, otherwise I probably wouldn't have gotten myself. But it's not a bad beer. It's just middle of the road. So if you hear me stop talking at some certain points, I'm probably enjoying a sip or two of that. It was Thanksgiving this week, so Andre and Jill were out of town visiting family. Uh, don't blame them. Claire had to work, so I was here, as, uh, and so we really didn't see anybody, but my parents come this week. So, I decided that I needed to see a bad movie. Originally, I was stuck between two because I wanted to watch a Thanksgiving bad movie, but neither one really seemed like the right choice. So, I've been doing a lot of horror movies lately, so watching Thanksgiving, for example, just seems like a little too much because... It's just one of those movies that a lot of people talk about and everything. Plus, I've been doing a lot of horror this year. I just kind of wanted to do something a little different. So, I didn't do Thanksgiving. The other one on my list was Friendsgiving, which is a Netflix movie that apparently is boring. Which is the cardinal sin of movies. Don't be boring. You are supposed to entertain. The worst thing you can do as a movie is be boring. But, it's one of those movies that I feel like not a lot of people are talking about, and not that I don't care about listens or anything like that, I really don't, but I had the opportunity that I found a movie that I thought more people would want to hear about and talk about. So, it does deal with family, and it is a superhero movie, but one of the worst ones from the 90s, it is Steel, the movie starring Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> I still remember when they were trying to make Shaq a movie star. He's definitely a TV star now, but just Shaq the movie star was an interesting time in the 90s. Uh, if you haven't seen Steel, it's a product of the 90s. It definitely is. Uh, the clothes, the catchphrases, the everything about it is just 90s, 90s, 90s. So let's get talking about this movie. Um... Our character for Shaq is John Henry Irons. Yes, John Henry. That is his real, actual name. Uh, he is a military tech provider. He has created these weapons that are like sound waves or lasers. All of this stuff that is super high tech that him and his partner Sparks worked on. Sparks is played by Annabeth Gish. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She's been in a lot of TV shows, stuff like that, but she's also been in things like Before I Wake, Mystic Pizza, uh, Nixon, as well as other things, including she's been in Barry, Midnight Mass, and The Haunting of Hill House, just to name a few. All those TV shows. But you've definitely seen her in something. In this movie, she is the brains behind the operation. She's the one that probably is the one that built the weapons. No offense, Shaq, but... 
even though he's a doctor, he is a doctor, Dr. Shaq, because he has a few doctorates, uh, this is definitely Sparks' show. So they start the movie off by testing these weapons by firing at a tank. And originally you're just kind of like, oh, okay, cool. You know, they want to see if it stops a tank. Then a person jumps out of the tank. There's live people in this test where they're firing weapons at. And the guy yells, my butt is on fire. And the colonel goes, I thought I smelled nuts burning. Just a great start to this film. And that's the first two lines. It's not even, we're 20 seconds in. Those are the first two lines. My butt is on fire. Thought I smelled nuts burning. So Shaq has created this. Um, him and his partner Sparks, they're very close. They have a connection. Um, they also have a lot of sexual tension. There also is this guy, Nathaniel Burke. Uh, he works with them. He is on the opposite spectrum of uh, John Henry. John Henry is a person that cares about people. He created these weapons to have them at a low frequency so that he won't be killing people. He'll just be stunning and disabling them. Whereas Nathaniel Burke says, let's turn it up, let's get it going, let's kill people. And there's a senator visiting, seeing these weapons, that is really into Burke's style. And so they do another test where they're trying to bring down a wall of a building across the way. So they're in another building, they're trying to bring down a wall of a building that's across the town. Um... Basically, John Henry's like, okay, cool, I'll do the test. You know, same old test as always. But Burke asks the colonel if he can do the test. And he turns up the frequency and fires. Of course, John Henry slow motion goes, no! And I started a counter for slow-mo because I figured there'd be a lot more slow-mo in this movie than there was. There's really only two times. Um, but it's the cliche yelling, um, as well as... So the building around them comes down because it's too much energy. It kills the senator, and Sparks' legs are under a wall. Obviously, John Henry, because he's super strong and cares so much about Sparks, lifts the wall off of her, saving her life. But in the process, she is crippled for the rest of her life. Um, next, we go to a courtroom scene. It is John Henry testifying, saying that it was Burke. He definitely was the one that did it. Um, not a chance that anybody else did it. And so Burke, like, finds him after the trial and is just like, this is all your fault. Like, I was going to rise to the top. I had the senator. This is all your fault. I seem to remember that Burke fired it. Burke turned up the frequency. I, I don't remember John Henry ever turning it up and firing and basically crippling his best friend. After this happens, basically Steele feels this guilt. Or, uh, Steele. Uh, John Henry feels this guilt. John Henry Irons feels this guilt because his best friend's hurt, can't walk ever again, and he doesn't want to hurt people, so he decides he's going to leave the army. Um, of course, he does that, and then he visits Sparks in the hospital, and she basically is, like, trying to talk to him and everything, and She's like, as soon as I'm back on my feet, and John Henry looks at the nurse, and the nurse immediately just shakes her head, no, not happening. She's never going to be able to walk again. But it's now a couple weeks, months, we don't know the timeline. It's a little bit after this. He's gone back home. He's back in L.A. 
He's the guy, like, all the kids in the neighborhood know. It's definitely supposed to be Compton. They don't ever exclusively say that, but it definitely gave me Compton vibes. Um, so Shaq's, like, walking through the town, and he's like, Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. You know, doing the finger pointing, that kind of stuff. And he comes to a bunch of kids that are playing basketball. The basketball rolls to him, and Shaq, being Shaq, picks it up and shoots a three-pointer. And this is the most realistic part of the movie because Shaq comes nowhere close. It's an air ball. <laughs> um, I just found that funny that they would even include that in the movie because I would think Shaq wouldn't want it. But if he's able to laugh at himself, good for him. He goes home to where his grandmother is and also a kid named Martin. Uh, Martin... I don't know how they're related. I think they're brothers, but they are very obviously, like, super different ages. Like, Martin's 15, about to get his first job kind of thing, and Shaq was in the military for multiple uh, tours. I'm just going to call him Shaq or John Henry. I don't know. It's going to be flip-flop throughout the whole thing. But they go to Grandma's house, and Grandma is making a souffle because she is learning how to do French cuisine. She wants to start her own restaurant. She's already the best character, you know, she has, she takes no sass and everything like that. Uh, I also realized at this point that Martin is played by Ray J. Yes, Ray J, uh, of the fame of the Kim Kardashian sex tape. So, that blew my mind there, for sure. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Nathaniel Burke, he has a friend that owns an arcade store. It's not an arcade per se, but people can go play there. Basically, he's selling the arcade games to the arcades. The person who runs this facility also has a secret base that is, like, selling... Uh, he's basically outfits the guns for the gangs of L.A. So, Burke goes to him. His name is Big Willie, because of course it is Big Willie. Uh, and basically, he says to Big Willie, I have this prototype. I want to sell it. I think you're the guy that can fund me for this. So they start going to work. Burke's first prototype burns the guy shooting it, testing it out. It burns his eye, but it destroys the target. So Big Willie's like, yes, this is exactly what I want it to be. This girl, uh, Duvray, she's only in one scene. She's like, but what about, like, you burned him. This is not okay. You can't be okay with this. And... Basically, Burke, still heavy with bloodlust, is like, it's fine. It's just a prototype. He'll live. He didn't die. It's okay. And Duvray's just like, well, the next prototype could go wrong, and that should be you firing. Okay, good for her. So, everybody's getting ready to leave. Oh, Burke wants to talk to this guy, Singer, who's in the elevator with Duvray. So, he's like, Singer, can I talk to you for a second? And... Singer walks out, Burke looks at Duvray and waves at her and presses a button. The elevator explodes and falls down the elevator shaft, killing Duvray, we think. We don't know for sure. And basically, he puts his arm around Singer and says, Now you know what we're going to do. You're lucky you weren't involved. Dude is, like, the worst villain. Because... I actually think a good hammy villain would have been great for this. Like, an over-the-top, 
person eating scenery like would have made this movie better. Burks is good, but he's not great. So we go back to John and Martin. He's also worried that Martin is going down the wrong path and is going to end up in a gang. So John scheduled his ride along with Nora or Norma so that Martin can see the good side of LA and like the cops and everything like that and hopefully go the right direction. But Martin's already telling him, I don't need to see this. I got offered a job and it's a legit job. It's not a it's not a gang thing, anything like that. They're doing their ride along. We get our first look at the weapons in action for the bad guys. It is a bunch of gang members that are running an armed robbery at a bank to try to get money to fund the next round of weapons. So they break in, and literally one of the guys has an eye patch. I wish I was joking, but he literally had an eye patch. He will be a big part of the rest of this. Um, Norma gets the call and is like, I know I'm taking two civilians, but we got to go stop this armed robbery. And Martin's like freaking out because he's so excited. John, uh, a bunch of cops get there first. The gang members shoot the cops and John runs out of the car to help them. Meanwhile, the Norma parks her car in front of the gang members vehicle to try to stop them from escaping. They use the sound wave, flip her car over and John needs to get her out before it explodes. Now, when the car's flipped over, there's no fire, no nothing, but it flashes to John and Martin with the cops that are on the ground, and literally it's, like, blazing on their faces, like it's so hot. And then we look at the car, and it's on fire out of nowhere. So it just wasn't, and then it was again. Uh, Three of the robbers escape in the vehicle, but the fourth is still there. So he runs away and John's like, I'm going to stop this guy. And it's just a test or it's just a spot to show us that John is really strong. He breaks down like a door, a metal fence that, you know, the guy had to jump over. He saved this guy and basically the robber is getting away. But all of a sudden, John is just next to him like, where'd you get these weapons? And the guy goes, oh, you know, around, and shoots him with the sound wave, knocking him over, and then he fires the sound wave at a train car, sending it towards John. John, of course, being the smart guy that he is, rolls to the open doorway in the rail car so that when the car goes over, he'll be in the rail car, protected and not squished. And then he breaks through the top of the railway car (laughs) because he's so strong. He catches the guy and is about to like interrogate him when the eye patch guy comes out and shoots him from behind with the sound wave, knocking him out. So the robbers are able to escape. John's knocked out. Martin's okay. Norma's waiting for an ambulance because they're coming. And I think the other two cops are dead. That's what happens. Night one. We haven't even gotten to the fact that he is steel yet. It's just John Henry's exploits at this point, trying to stop the weapons. So, the next day, John is on the phone with the colonel saying, these robbers have these weapons, we need to figure out how they got them, and we need to stop them. 
And the colonel's, well, we can't do that. Like, uh, we're not allowed to do that or interfere. These weapons are going to get on the street one way or another. And um, he also says that everything's accounted for. I can't see how anyone would have these weapons. And John Henry says, you can't see anything with your head up your ass, Colonel, and breaks the phone because he slams it so hard. And of course, because he's so strong. So John's next intention is to go to where the gang members uh, hangout is. It's a bar. They Basically, they were wearing purple. And Martin just happened to know this is this gang. I didn't catch the gang's name. But they're all like wearing like MC Hammer style clothes. It's so 90s. The music is just everything 90s. It's it's ridiculous. It just hurts how much this movie is 90s. John Henry walks in three feet taller than everybody else. And the guy with the eye patch goes, look, it's the Jolly Black Giant. Some of these one-liners were excellent and made me laugh and caught me off guard. Um... Basically, John starts asking about the weapons. They're not telling him anything. They said, you got it from your mama's house. You know, like that kind of stuff. He holds a guy against the wall, ready to pound him. And all of a sudden, a bunch of guns come onto him. And he's like, all right, fine. I know when I'm outmatched. Not one person fires. I mean, I think he would probably be dead in this situation in real life. Especially with how big he is and the fact that he is... He could probably take a few of you out before you could kill him. I think they would jump at that opportunity when they had it. But they didn't. And so now he's trying to figure out what to do. And he needs to get Sparks' help. Sparks has been moved from the army hospital to basically... I don't even know what to call it. It's like an army hospice. She's in a wheelchair. She's staring at the window. And basically just not facing him at all. Um, he sits there and is like talking with her and she just won't look at him. And it's so weird to me because the last time they were together, like she was still very like positive and you're my hero. You saved my life. I, I'll never forget this. I'll, I owe you everything. Now she's not even looking at him and blames him for a lot of things. I guess because character development, I don't know. It's one of those things. So he basically picks up her wheelchair and takes her out of there and is like, you're helping me. You're coming to L.A. with me. And the people start cheering as he carries her out in the wheelchair. I don't know why. <laughs> they just start cheering, I guess. Um, but basically, they set up shop. They are in a junkyard. And she's like, why did you bring me to this junkyard? And he goes... This junkyard is Uncle Joe's, who's played by Richard Roundtree. Love Richard Roundtree that he's in this movie. is phenomenal. Uh, Richard Roundtree owns this junkyard, and basically the idea is they're going to create weapons to destroy the weapons they made. Well, it's a junkyard. They, they're not going to have anything. Of course, Uncle Joe has a bunch of friends, and he puts in front of her like this computer, and she's like, Whoa, where'd you get this? And he goes, oh, it fell off a truck. And wouldn't you know it? No dings, no nothing. And she's like, looks at him and he's like, you know, a lot of things fall off trucks around here. We can make it happen. Just write a list. And basically she starts smiling for the first time after her 
accident and is, all right, cool, let's do this. Uh, we also then find out on the other side that Burke is hiring Martin to work at the arcade store. And one of the best lines, because it's so stupid, is he, he gets introduced by another person and Burke's like, Oh, cool. Like, yeah, I'd love to give you a job. You can call me the man. And it's just in the background. And it's just so, so cheesy. So awful, so cheesy, so everything. Obviously, you can see where this is starting to go. So, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to play you a couple commercials because we do have to get those out of the way. And then we'll tell you about the second half of Steel, uh, which... We haven't even seen Steel at this point, and it's probably an hour into this hour 40 movie. All right, I'll see you after the break. And we're back. So, at this point, Martin's working at the arcade store. They're working on a weapon to destroy weapons. This weapon's obviously going to be Steel. Um, so, they're like doing a montage of their plans and everything, and there's a part where basically John's not happy with the schematic so he starts rolling a ball and he throws it at the trash can and it completely misses and he goes what I never could make free th free throws <laughs> this movie is very self-referential and I kind of like that about it it's not a good movie it, none of it is but I honestly think it's pretty good um so finally we get the unveiling of the steel suit and more specifically, the hammer, because John Henry has to have a hammer. So they know about John Henry was a coal-driving man, beat the railway, you know, that kind of stuff. So they built this hammer that has, like, special gadgets inside. It's like a weaponized hammer. And Richard Roundtree, Uncle Joe, says, I made the hammer. I especially love the shaft. And Shaq looks at him. And Richard Roundtree's just like, what? What? So, so far, we've got a shaft joke, we've got basketball jokes, and it gets even weirder than that. They slapped a ton of metal onto Shaq, and they put his helmet on him, and basically the only thought I have in my head is Shaq's already slow. Let's put a bunch of metal on him and make him slower. That sounds like a great plan. So, he wants to test out a suit. Uh, there's a punk that starts... Uh, he, he's mugging these rich people and basically steel, he, the mugger has a switchblade, steel has his hammer and basically dispenses the punk real easily, gets the stuff back, gives it back to the mugging victims. The mugging victims are really grateful, say he's like very nice. He's very tall. He's and everything like that. Um, this comes back later in the movie. So he's done his test and he's like, great. If you hear about any weapons, I'm going. So basically, he's gone from this punk with a switchblade, and now he's going to go take on an entire gang fight that's firing, like, real guns and everything like that. All of the guns are, like, the bullets are bouncing off his steel suit, and he gives the finger wave, the Dikembe Mutombo style, uh-uh-uh. And so then he basically uh, does a sound wave out of his hammer on the car to stop them and get them to run away, and takes care of the rest of them with an electromagnet that grabs all the guns and like necklaces and stuff like that and attaches it to a suit. And he turns off the electromagnet and everything shuts off. 
Everything falls off, and he's like, perfect, now go. Police are coming, hot chase. It's this whole thing. He gets away from the police to get to the junkyard where she has basically already made this, like, hidden bat cave, essentially, the steel cave in the junkyard. And Richard Roundtree says, well, I'll be dipped in shit and rolled in breadcrumbs. I've never heard that line before in my life. I don't think that's a real line. I think that's something that got made up for this movie. It's ridiculous. Also, during this chase, there's, like, nobody on the streets. There's no cars, no nothing. This is L.A., are there like six people that live there? We see the same people over and over and over again. Even when they're uh, when he's being chased by a police, John Henry even sees Martin and Grandma walking down the street, and it's just the same six people. So, um, also one of the things I was gonna say is the police officer is played by Tom Barry. Now Tom Barry played James Jordan, Michael Jordan's father. In Space Jam. So we have another basketball reference and a reference to Space Jam. So Shaft, Space Jam, and basketball jokes all are in this. And so Steel apparently exists in the Space Jam universe and the Shaft universe, which is its own thing. Uh, and I also had the question, how many seven-footers live in this neighborhood? Because it's pretty obvious the one seven-footer is obviously Steel. So how how does how is his... Secret identity, a secret. So, Burke, after they see that Steel exists on cameras and stuff like that, seeing him in videos and everything, gets his gang leader, who's play, or this the guy with the eye patch. They meet in a park, and basically he gives him a hot dog and says, Eat the hot dog. Don't be a hot dog. You can never underestimate your enemy. It's so bad. And it also is supposed to be a turkey dog because the eye patch guy doesn't eat pork. Cool. All right. Fine. It wasn't that big a deal. I didn't really make any notes of it. It does come back later. <laughs> so they're doing rounds. Uh, so Steel is doing rounds in the neighborhood. Um, he is in a truck with Richard Roundtree, Uncle Joe, and their dog. Their dog's name. Dog's name is Lily. But the thing is with Lily is whenever they're in the truck, Lily is just straightforward, not moving. And so I'm pretty sure Lily was a fake dog every time they are in the truck. It's ridiculous because it does not move. Um, the gang members that have the high-tech weapons, they are breaking into another bank to get more money. So this is a big deal. Uh, they basically clear this bank immediately. So I made the note that I think this is some of like the best shooting I've seen bad guys have in a movie before. And even with Steel, they do hit him with bullets and everything like that. But it just bounces off his suit. And they also hit him with the lasers at this fight with the bank. Because he realizes that his suit's taking a lot of damage. He still feels it because it's made of the same material. So it's not like he can just withstand all of these laser hits and all these sound blasts including there's a part where the sound blast turned all the way up on frequency knocks him flying through the air. The bad guys get away. Steel is getting chased by the police again. So he has to get out of there. He gets out of there, but he does save um, 
the bad guys as they're going, they shoot down a helicopter. And he does save Tom Barry or James Jordan or whatever his name is because he's just senior detective in this movie. Um, so he saves James Jordan, and that's what I'm just going to call him, or Tom Barry, his actor's name. Um, so he saves him, takes a hit to the chin, definitely like, you know, bleeding a little bit and everything, but he's fine for the most part. Now, all of these weapons have been seen on the news and everything like that, so it starts going around that the French want these weapons, the Colombians want these weapons, and then a group of skinheads are in it too, and they want these weapons. So Burke essentially gets all of them together to get these weapons by the end of the movie. That's all you need to know right now because it doesn't happen yet. Steele gets out of his uniform, goes home, Grandma is there, and it's apparent. She knows he's Steele. Like, it's just obvious. Martin's an idiot because he hears he hears things and, like, doesn't realize he's Steele. He doesn't realize that John Henry is Steele. Grandma, it's obvious. He's tall. He's kind. He's polite. You know, it's obvious that Steele is John Henry. Um, Burke sends the SWAT to John Henry's house to arrest him because... They know he's Steele, and he doctored the footage to make it look like Steele did the bank robbery. So SWAT comes in. They basically are like, you're under arrest for suspicion of being Steele and breaking into a bank. And Marcus hears this, but doesn't think about it, I guess, because it doesn't really happen. You know, like it does nothing comes from it right away, um, especially because Marcus, I think he's just trying to like not believe it. Um, so Steele or John Henry gets put into a lineup. The mugging victims are there and they're going, well, like he was on the right side of justice. He helped us get our stuff back. I don't, I don't want to do a lineup to get him arrested. And so they just say, as they're looking at him and the lineup is two, five footers, two, six footers. And then the middle is seven foot six Shaquille O'Neal. And they're just like, oh, yeah, he's definitely not here, knowing full well who Steele is. And I love how they just kind of, um, so then they get Tom Barry to come in and look at all of them. And just and basically because he got a good look at him to decide who Steele is. So he comes in, and he's looking at all of them. And I love how they play it up like it could be anybody. But he looks at the seven footer and is just like. And gives him, like, a knowing glance and goes, yeah, he's not here. Uh, they still put him in jail because they've been told that he is Steel. And that they have it on good accord that he's Steel. Luckily, Sparks can do everything. Because she is just... She's a god mode cheat code, is what I said. She can build weapons, she can hack things, and she can create new technology. So she impersonates the DA to get him released from jail so that they can go and save the day. Um, how they do this is basically they get his his uh, signature. They fax over, fax, uh, over a pardon from the mayor with the signature from the DA. And basically they also, like, 
took his voice to call and tell the police that this was coming and that the DA wants him free by one o'clock or there's going to be trouble, damn it. And so the police just let him go. So Steele is getting ready for this big showdown. He knows that there's a meeting coming together with the French, the Colombians, the skinheads, and Burke, as well as Big Willie and the gang members. So Steele is basically... All right, cool. We're going to work. Uh, he also has broken ribs because of the sound attack. It broke his ribs. We, you don't know it for sure, but all of a sudden Sparks goes quiet on the line and you're just thinking to yourself, you know where this is going. She's been taken hostage. She's in a wheelchair. She's been making wheelchair modifications the whole movie because I forgot about that part and it comes back later. Um, we're pretty confident she gets kidnapped. So Steele is breaking into this meeting to stop the weapon sales as well as to stop Burke. He comes in guns blazing with his hammer and Burke's like, ah, 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 not so fast. We have Sparks and basically one of the gang members has Sparks and her wheelchair and she's at gunpoint. And so Steele's like, ah, I, I can't. I can't do anything. So he like puts his hammer down and he basically lays on the ground and I, I don't get why he lays on the ground. It, it's not necessary. Um, but he has broken ribs. So it's like one of those things where he's, he doesn't want to get into a fight and he doesn't want to put sparks at risk. Also at this time, Richard Roundtree slash uncle Joe is walking around looking for them and he gets the idea he's going to call the military, the army, to get them there so that they can take care of these weapons. He goes to the car and somebody jumps up on him and is like, all right, drop it. And basically, Uncle Joe goes, okay, okay. Lily, Lily, Lily! The dog jumps and bites the guy and like takes him out. So I was like, dog save the day. That, that's what happened. Dog saved the day. Lily's the hero. End of movie, right? Of course not. Um, so it goes back to the scene where Steel is basically surrendering. Sparks is in trouble. Um, what What's going to happen next? We, we don't know what is going to be the next thing that happens. Big Willie is is basically saying, like, yes, we're going to provide this for you. And Burke goes, no, I. And he shoots Big Willie. Big Willie, dead. Gone. All six minutes, or all six lines of his dialogue out the window. Then the gang leaders are basically like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what the hell? Because he said that they're not needed either. So Burke fires at one of them, but the guy with the eye patch basically avoids it, gets behind the truck. So, Steel sees this opportunity and is like, all right, cool. Let's do something else. They're behind the truck. Um, Burke is talking about how his hammer is, like, he grabs the hammer and he's like, this is going to be the next big thing. And Steel's like, yeah, you know, like, I can show you how this works and everything like that. So he tells Burke to not push the red switch. Of course Burke does. It turns on the electromagnet and his hammer goes to steel. As well as some of the weapons the other uh, guns arms dealers had on them. The new weapons are basically 
don't have metal in them, so they're not coming. But they are also away from Burke at this point, so there's nothing he can really do in this moment. Meanwhile, Sparks hits a button on her wheelchair, and all of a sudden it starts firing lasers at all of the at everywhere, including she even hits Steel at one point. And I was kind of sitting there going, wow, she doesn't care about him at all, does she? She's like, I'm just going to fire at whoever, and hopefully I get bad guys. So, Burke runs away. Everybody starts firing at everybody. The gang leaders, they are trying to get Burke, but they can't. Uh, but luckily for Burke, he has an ace in the hole because Steele has chased him down. The ace in the hole? Yeah, he has Martin. He grabs Martin, hides behind him, has a gun to his head, and Steele doesn't know what to do. He's stuck there for a second. But Richard Roundtree is walking around and sees this, grabs a gun, and shoots Burke, knocking him out of the fight. So, Steele then is able to grab Martin and protect him. They run and get locked in a room, and one of the henchmen tosses a grenade in, and basically, Steele is trying to find a way, and Martin's like, we're locked in. And then he looks up, and he sees a hole in the ceiling. And he's like, you got to throw it out of here. And Steele goes, I was never good at this kind of shot. And Martin goes, just bend your knees and take a deep breath. You can do it. So this is slow motion, second time, where he throws the grenade like a free throw. And it goes through and saves the day because it explodes outside of the room, knocks out the henchmen, and opens the door so they can get out. They take the vehicle and, like, the new vehicle and basically drive it out of the wall. Um, Sparks added rocket boosters to her wheelchair so she was able to get out and get Uncle Joe. And so then they're just all talking and... um, he also, the the arms dealers got away at this point. They were basically all gone. It was just Burke versus Steel. That was the whole fight and everything like that. The arms dealers, luckily, they got to run into the army because Uncle Joe called the army. So the day saved. Everybody stopped. All the weapons are contained. Everything like that. Marcus finally realizes it's John Henry. And goes, oh my god, like, I can be your Rodman. I mean, Robin! (laughs) And, you know, it's just another basketball pun on this basketball movie. Um, It goes to the next day, and the army colonel is trying to find Steel. But he's using a scrambler, as well as he's using a voice translator to sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) So the army colonel is just like, I know this isn't your voice. I know you aren't in a diner in Cincinnati. I will find you, Steel, and I will take those weapons back. We can't have you on the run with them. He goes, good luck, bye. And so the day is saved. Everybody's happy. Sparks and Steel, it never actually makes it look, or they never actually kiss or anything like that, but it definitely looks like they're going to have a happy ending. Grandma got the restaurant she wanted. We don't know how. She also perfected her souffle because every time she tried to make a souffle, it kept deflating. Day is saved. Steals the hero. I watched this movie. It happened. Um, some background about the movie. It was directed and written by Kenneth Jose- uh, J- Kenneth Johnson. Kenneth Johnson 
is also he's done writing and directing for the bionic woman the curse of dracula the incredible hulk like all those 70s 80s uh 70s 80s tv shows he also was the director of short circuit 2 which i did not know that short circuit had a sequel but apparently it does you know cool um he's also done some tv directing nowadays with Oh, he did the. He was the director for Xenon Girl of the 21st Century. That's fun. He was also Don't Look Under the Bed. He was a director for. He was a director for a couple episodes of Jag. Um, a little bit of everything. He's still writing, as far as I can tell. He wrote the V TV miniseries uh, back in the 70s, and then he also wrote it when they tried to reboot it. He wrote 22 episodes of that for the 2009 and 2011. So really he hasn't done anything since 2011. But yeah, so that is Kenneth Johnson who directed and wrote along with the original comic book writers of Steel. Uh, Steel, if you don't know any comic book history about it, basically he was supposed to fill in for Superman after the Death of Superman comic book arc. So, a lot of times in this movie, they call them Man of Steel, um, just because I they're making it funny on that, I guess, pretty much. So, yeah. Um, Steel. 90s movie. Definitely. Cheesy. Shaq should never act. Um, the funny thing is, I actually don't think he's the worst actor in it, and it's it's going to be that uh, Annabeth, uh, Annabeth Gish, and... Not for any other reason other than a lot of the time she's spent in front of a monitor just, Johnny, Johnny, are you okay? Johnny, is it all right? Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. Like, it should have taken a drink every time she said Johnny. I probably wouldn't have made it through the movie. So, yeah, that was Steel. I will give it, I don't know, it's not the worst movie I've seen. It's very cheesy, It's but it can also be a lot of fun because it is kind of stupid. Um, I'll say one and a half out of five. Uh, um, let's go uh, butt rivets because he had to get riveted into his suit. So he had rivets for his butt. Um, so one and a half out of five butt rivets for steel. So yeah, that was a bad movie I watched this week. Um, hoping to do more episodes with our friends. They get back... I think later this week. So I'm hoping that we can be able to do an episode together. As well as I will be stockpiling some episodes. Watching some bad movies and doing some episodes on my own. Just so there's something always coming. So that's Game for a Movie. Where we ask are you game for a movie. We will see you next time on Game for a Movie.